there, everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. My name's Vera. And I'm Liz. And today we are um, revisiting not a character, but an author. We are taking a look at Stargazing by Jen Wang, who we have looked at her work previously with uh, The Prince and the Dressmaker. Mm-hmm. So this, um, Liz, was one you brought to the table. Um, was this just on your radar because it was the book that followed uh, Prince and the Dressmaker, or was there anything else that sort of brought it to your attention? Um, not really. I figured we would try Jenny Wang again. Um, also, this month is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, so I thought it might be nice if we did something with an Asian American protagonist and author. So. Yeah, well, that certainly works. Um... And you you did give me the heads up. Not that I necessarily expected this, but this is probably good to give me the heads up anyway, that this is not revisiting any of the themes that I fell in love with with Prince Prince and the the Dressmaker. Dressmaker. It's a very different book. It is a very different book. It's aiming to do different things. It's got different characters. It's like the comparison exists insofar as like you can see the same kind of approach to characterization and a similar art style, Mm -hmm. but like... If you're like me and you fell in love with Prince and the Dressmaker for its approach to those specific themes, uh, those themes are not present here. So that's just, I think that's worth knowing going in. Yes. So Stargazing follows uh, primarily the young girl Christine. And she is part of an Asian American family and... She, you know, she is striving for academic excellence. She plays the violin, but also knows she's not the uh, best violinist in the group that she's in. But, you know, she she does all right. She has friends. She's not, like, a, she's not a loner. She's not completely without connections. But her life kind of changes a bit when her family um, rents out a um, sort of a spare living space to um, a young girl the same age named Moon and her mother. Mm -hmm. And Moon is quite different to Christine. She is um, much more laid back, freewheeling. There's also uh, a lot of superficial differences. Um, Moon and her mother are Buddhist and they are vegetarian, um, neither of which are something that Christine and her family are. Moon in general is, you know, just... Uh, living a visibly somewhat less restrained life, both in terms of the direct expectations and also the expectations she puts on herself. Mm-hmm. But despite the differences, the two, they connect quite well and they they enjoy time with each other. But things sort of... I, I think we're going to need to section off a spoiler discussion yes. for the back end. Okay, we can do that. Um, but, you know, things take some terms, some turns, and there are some difficulties that come up, um, you know, some in which the, the way that each of these girls, you know, handles conflict causes some issues, and then later on some other stuff goes on as well. But this is largely a, um, a friendship between these two young girls, and it is just a friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is obviously one that means something a lot to both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title comes from Moon's habit of not only, you know, stargazing and loving the stars, but she 
she kind of fantasizes about the idea that she herself is from the stars and she claims that she sees celestial beings and knows that that's where she's actually supposed to be. So, you know, setting aside the back end, because we'll mm -hmm. come back to it. Okay. What did you think overall? Um, I liked it. It was okay. I didn't love it, but in, in terms of a, like, sort of the quintessential girl friendship story, girl friendship going awry, like, you know, that kind of stuff. It was good. It was, it was fine. It wasn't necessarily my favorite. I didn't love it as much as, say, something like All's Fair. Um, but I liked it. Um, I thought, I did like the details that them both being Chinese American lended to it and kind of that aspect of it in terms of, you know, sometimes feeling, Christine kind of feeling at odds with her parents and with the expectations they put on her. And, um, that I think was well done. Um, I, like, I had a lot of good little details in it, and I liked it. I liked the character of Moon, um, and Christine, for that matter. Um, I definitely would say it was better than, like, Sunny Side Up and stuff like that, which, going way back. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that, where I was like, this is great. I, I didn't love it as much as Prince and the Dressmaker, but like you said, it's doing very different things. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like it as much as Prince and the Dressmaker, but that's, to keep in mind, like, Prince and the Dressmaker really hit me where I live. Uh -huh. So, the odds that this was going to do that same thing were very slim. That said, I actually liked this quite a bit. Oh, you did? Good. I did. And I think it, it demonstrates, like, how just either even minor tweaks to a formula can just help freshen them up. So, like, for example, like, you made the comparison to Sunnyside Up. I'll go back to Roller Girl. Uh-huh. When I compare sort of the issues that come up and the bits of drama and tension between these two friends, they don't feel like generic preteen placeholder insert the same drama as every other freaking thing here instances. Yeah. It's not, oh, we're crushing on the same boy. It's not, oh, you hang out with these people more than me. It feels much better informed by realistic tensions and realistic conflicts and when the characters are feeling like they can't share what's going on it feels like that is something that someone wouldn't share mm -hmm. whereas in a lot of times these kinds of stories i'm like why would you not tell somebody that and yeah. like I, I get some people are really repressed but i'm saying like it's the kind of thing that gets done so often that's like, and the course of the conflict is they don't talk to each other i'm like why they share everything else so what the hell Whereas this never hit that nerve for yeah. me. So, like, I, I, think a, I think a decent example is instead of just sort of the general, oh, they feel, you know, slightly different about something and that causes tension. You know, one of them really likes something that the other one thinks is dumb or, like, they both are crushing on the same person or any of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. Around a halfway point, it has a conflict that is way more unique to these characters, which is that Christine's younger sister... Uh, is is crying because she uh, was picked on by one of her classmates. Uh 
Mm-hmm. And Moon finds out about this. And the other boy's name is Gabriel. The next day at school, she walks up to the kids in and Moon's little sister's class and goes, hey, which one of you is Gabriel? One of them goes, it's me. And she just decks him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is, yes, an extreme reaction, but it feels much more informed by who she is as opposed to a placeholder conflict that could have been shoved on anybody. I think they really, the author does a really good job of developing their personalities and showing how they're different people, Mm. but how they also connect and how, what they also bring to the table for each other in this friendship. So I think the personality contrast is done really well while still giving you understanding why. I think, yeah, I think that's a friends. I think that's a really good point because I think the one of the two ways that these kinds of things can go off the rails for me, neither of which happens here, uh-huh. um, but there are instances where it's like they're so contrasted, you're like, how are you two even friends? Or they're so similar that you're going, how are you two even fighting? Yeah. Whereas this doesn't really do either. And even if you do one of the others, there are ways to bridge that gap. So like, for instance, El Defo had a period where the main character in that was with friends with someone who wasn't really a good person. Mm-hmm. But you understood why, because she felt like, well, you make the least deal out of my hearing aid. Mm-hmm. So I'll put up with some other Sound. crap for you. Yeah. So like... There are still ways to bridge that gap if it's there, but I feel like a lot of books don't even bother mm-hmm. to explain why people who clearly are clashing are still friends or to properly justify why people who gel so well are suddenly at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. And this just rides the balance really, really well. And it's it part of the reason this was such a breezy read for me is at no point did I have to stop to roll my eyes or go <laughs> or go, wait, what? I never did. It made sense at every step for who these girls are. Yeah. No, she knows her characters well. She developed them well. I think this author is someone who really understands characters. Like, what, who, regardless of who she's writing or what time period she's writing in, she knows how to develop characters and their conflicts and, you know, their... Their needs, their desires. She does, but you know what's something else that she does that I'm actually exceptionally impressed by, given the age range this is written for? Mm -hmm. She also doesn't overdevelop them. No. So what I mean by that is, like, for instance, there's a moment early on when Christine mentions to her mother that Moon uh, is Buddhist, Mm -hmm. and her mother just kind of pauses for a moment. Mm -hmm. You can tell that makes her uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but that also never comes up. That's not a setup for a conversation later. It's not a setup for a conflict later. But it's something layered in to just put in these little differences, these little things that will become part of a division Mm -hmm. between some characters later, but aren't themselves something that requires a deep dive. Because initially I thought back to that, I'm like, if they're not going to make a thing of it, why is that there? But then I realized later, like, oh, it's one of a cumulative number of things that are there. Mm-hmm. None of which requires a deep explanation, but I can see most other authors, especially Amy at this age group, getting into these extended bits, digging into that when you just don't need to. And I think you can tell, and it's something that um, Jen Wang writes about at the back end of the book, how much of this was informed by personal experience because those kinds of details are the things you know to lay in when mm-hmm. you're basing it off 
people that you know and you know that people like just have these things in the mix. Yeah. You know, as as opposed to just only putting in stuff that you intend to pay off later, which, you know, is economic but also gives you flatter characters. Yeah, that's a good point. Um I kind of forgot what I was going to say. But I oh, I I remember now. So I really liked um the conversation she has with her dad later on too when they're at um Oh, when they're getting the shaved, shaved ice. ice. Yeah. Like he's he there's also like I like what they do with the parents and like the ways they kind of are cautious of Moon and her family, but also realizing, you know, these are things we need to work on too. Her dad realizes that and just how upset she really is and why. So that's a good moment, I think. I think I think the parents are well done because, like, again, it's something that could have been easy to just overemphasize the idea of, oh, these parents just don't get it. I'm like, well, they don't, but they're not they're not unwilling to try and get it. Mm -hmm. Like the issue more is they don't realize they don't get it. But as they get a sense of that, they're going to try and be better. As opposed to, you know, again, the more generic approach, was, which is just that they don't get it and they're pig-headed about that fact. Which isn't really the case here. So, I mean, I, I get the sense I liked it a bit more than you. But it sounds like we're we're both well, fairly positive. Well, you're convincing positive. me. I'm like, maybe I did like this better. Like, <laughs> I'm probably not at the same level as you, but I'm like, no, you have very valid points, and I'm starting to like it better. So, so yeah. I mean, I think folks can consider that uh, a recommendation from mm -hmm. both of us. It, again, if this sort of genre, realistic, um, what middle school range yeah i think they're in middle school middle school age protagonists like is something either you or your kids would be interested in consider that a recommendation um we're using it for a graphic novel group next year so well I you'll have to let me good. know how that goes yeah but that does mean we are going to start getting into the back end and talking the more spoiler stuff because it didn't want to didn't want to drop this for anyone who might want to read it based off what we've said so far mm -hmm. so that's your warning and so Moon has a brain tumor, mm -hmm. which factors in multiple ways. It, it causes, you know, a lot of the uh, emotional core of what happens in the, in the last quarter of the book. But in addition to that, the whole thing of her sort of seeing celestial beings, it's the tumor pressing on her visual cortex. Mm-hmm. And to put the, the scene that you brought up into context, you know, her her dad is trying to, uh, Christine's dad is trying to cheer her up, you know, being like, well, you know, maybe she'll come out of surgery and she'll know how to speak Chinese. And he laughs and that really upsets Christine because he's like, you want her to change. You want her to be different. Mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really what he meant by that, but it, it kind of wakes him up to the fact that he was not paying proper attention to why Christine was so scared. Uh-huh. Um, here was the thing that I was surprised by, reading the thing at the back end. Mm-hmm. When you read, when Jen Wang writes about her own personal experiences that informed this... Mm-hmm. I expected her experience to 
map onto Christine. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. It maps onto Moon. Because Jen had a tumor that pressed on her visual cortex and she had to have surgery. And the thing that surprised me is that it this while this felt incredibly informed by personal experience, mm-hmm. I was expecting reading the back end for it to be I had a friend who went through this because this is written from Christine's perspective. So to find out that Jen Wang, if she is, is either of them, moon. is Moon, I actually mm-hmm. found really interesting that she was kind of able to incorporate her real life experience, but also step outside of it to have a third person view mm-hmm. of of a fictionalized account of something she went through. Yeah, she even looks a little more like Moon. Yeah, she does because there's, there's pictures in the back from from the wavy hair and the like, the rounder face. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, that's a good point. Like, but I think I think that authors sometimes do that where they paint the the not they paint they put themselves not as the narrator but as another character and look at a version of themselves through the narrator's eyes. I that can happen. I'm not used to seeing that happen in something aimed at this age group. Ah. Uh. Because I mean again to make the uh comparing to something like El Defo, uh-huh. that was obviously and like it's not she a criticism. It was better for it, but it was incredibly informed by relaying her own experience through the narrator yeah 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 no that is kind of cool um that she chose to do it that way i i I will say my one thing is i feel like it ends kind of abruptly it it, the it's i mean it doesn't stop at i think an incorrect point like i'm not sure how much more there is Uh to to put after where it chooses to stop uh-huh. But, it, yeah, it is kind of a sudden stopping point. I, yeah, the ending felt a little rushed, like, from the point that she... Not not the actual collapse of Moon and the conversation with the father, that didn't feel rushed. But once they get to the hospital, it's a quick, like, we're okay, forgiveness. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, we're having this show that's like a fundraiser for Moon, and here's the talent show, and boom, we're done. That felt a little rushed for me, um, especially since they had been building it for it for so long. But I also understand, obviously, you wanted those parts in it because it had been mentioned throughout the book. Um... So I think that's that's a a little bit of a critique I have. Um, yeah, I I it's not like it's an ending that ruins it, but it does it does just kind of you know this isn't literally it because this would be a movie thing, but it does kind of suddenly you know fade to black, cut to credits, <laughs> very very suddenly. Yep. Um, I will say I got a bit choked up reading uh, Christine and Moon talking in the hospital after Moon had had her surgery. Um, You know, for a number of reasons, but initially just from Moon talking out the fact that, you know, my visions, none of that was real. Mm -hmm. All along, I've just been a weirdo. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to live on this earth for the rest of my life. And so, like, something that she th- that she had kind of fictionalized in her mind is making her special 
was literally just a sickness that was killing her. And that's... I'm not going to say that's directly analogous to anything I've experienced, but sort of, you know, that that feeling of, oh, I'm not special, I'm just weird. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I... I <laughs> I can see where that would where that would hit somebody, and it it choked me up a little bit. Yeah, and the fact that she that Moon thought that Christine was mad at her was kind of like, oh, honey, like no, she feels like she's a bad friend. Yeah, and again, it just it feels much more grounded in in a realistic version of what a friendship between two people like this would be it because the conflict didn't feel artificial the resolution doesn't either yeah i i did feel like it was a little rushed but i also have to keep in mind they haven't seen each other in a couple weeks and they have you know they went through this big traumatic incident where you know like Moon's been in the hospital and Christine's been feeling guilty. So it makes sense that they were able to make up and everything. So I, I have to remember, even though for me, it's a couple flips of the page. For them, it's several weeks. So, yeah. Well, yeah. So I think I think that was everything I had to say. Yes. I just, I also thought that they were really adorable. Some of the illustrations are just adorable. Like wide-eyed and... That Moon's haircut, shaved head at the end. She's so cute and like. <laughs> well, and I and they had set it up because she idolizes a K-pop star who has a shaved head. So, again, a very typical thing would have been, you know, oh my beautiful hair, and instead Moon's kind of quietly excited that she gets <laughs> to have a shaved head. Yep. Yeah. It's really cute. Yeah, they're just and like the little they're them dancing is always so cute. Like the little groove in and like pop in. I wonder. I wonder if that's another part of the reason why the ending feels rushed. Uh-huh. Because trying to communicate dance in a static in a image novel yeah. medium is really difficult. And if this had been, say, a movie, uh-huh. that could have been that could have felt big enough to be the note to end on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for either how long it goes, how elaborate it is, how it's shot, etc. And there's only... And, but because dance is about actual motion, not mm-hmm. just posed stuff, yeah. from, but like the actual flow of movement, it, it's... <laughs> it's really hard to do. It's that. really hard to bring across as, in... As much as, like, fighting is hard to do in a graphic novel, I feel like dancing is... I feel like harder. dancing is even harder, because at least <laughs> at least with fighting, you have the punctuation of moments of impact. Uh-huh. Whereas that's a lot harder to bring across with dance. And not that it's badly done here, but because of the limitations of the medium, it feels smaller and less like a, and there's the big triumphant moment and we end. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that's a good point. <laughs> All right, so I think that about wraps up. Yep, that, that does it for this one. We'll have a quick commercial break, and we've only got one um, comment. comment to go through, but we will take a look at that when we get back. It was the dawn of the new age of podcasts. Two years after I had met Jesse Gender, the Jumpgate podcast was dream-given form. Its goal? 
to discuss the show Babylon 5 by creating a place where two gender-fluid trans folks could work out their differences peacefully. It's a podcast for everyone. Home away from home for diplomats, hustlers, entrepreneurs, and nerds. Humans and aliens listening with two earbuds and 500,000 listeners forged of metal all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous listen, but it's our last best hope for peace. This is the story of the newest of the Babylon 5 podcasts. The year is 2022. The name of the show is Jumpgate. back last episode we talked about diana princess of the amazons which we both enjoyed and we had one comment from brian linton brian linton says my daughter read both diana princess of the amazons and zatanna and the house of secrets which we had referenced being in the back of diana princess of amazons Mm -hmm. back when she was in the target age range for those stories of the two i remember her preferring the zatanna story I don't know if that was due to difference in the quality of writing storytelling or the fact that Zatanna has a cute pet rabbit, which, yeah, would be a big selling point. And that's me. valid. That's super yeah. valid. As a parent and a comic book fan, I appreciate that DC has made an effort to reach younger readers with these graphic novels. Until these books started coming out, there wasn't a lot out there that I could use to introduce my young daughter to these characters. Unfortunately, DC's mainstream comic book lines are not very kid-friendly, with only a handful of all-ages titles. The DC superhero girls line was also a godsend in that regard. Thanks for another wonderful episode. Thank you, Brian. Like, I feel like that's a fair point, especially for DC, because... Holy cow, has DC spent the last 20 years trying to prove how adult they are and making just... Gritty. Just making, in my opinion, terrible comics. Um, fairly, I'm not going to say none of it's good, but fairly reliably terrible comics that are soaked in blood and nonsense. And I'm like, who is this for? And I know who it's for. It's for people my age and older who think that the comics should have matured with us and you can't introduce your kids to this stuff. You can't you can't hand your 11-year-old a copy of Identity Crisis. Are you nuts? Someone should call protective services on you if you try and pull that nonsense. <laughs> so it actually makes a heck of a lot of sense that DC made flat-out kid-friendly versions uh, of their material and actually, in particular, young girl-friendly versions given that in addition to being excessively violent, they also have kind of a really bad history with a lot of their female characters. And that's not... I would imagine. That's not me um, saying that Marvel has never gotten that stuff wrong. They have. I just don't think it's been on the uh, entire line-wide scale (laughs) the way that DC has been for a while now. Yes. Mar- oh. Marvel in the last 20 years has tended to dip into excessive nonsense that that DC just lives in now. Yes. 
Uh, <laughs> I would imagine. I will say it went out at my library pretty quickly, too, in my elementary library. So <clears throat> either a third or a fourth grade girl took it home. I can't remember. Cool. So, yeah. Nice to see it uh, yes, actually I, getting picked up. I do like finally reading these books so that I can then check them out to my students who they're <laughs> really intended for and who I buy them for originally, but, you know, sometimes I hold on to them for a while. And Well, I mean, you need to be able to say with confidence whether the kids will like them. And sometimes I need to know the right age range to sell it for, and I was like, this, this is going to be more of a big sell at the elementary, though I, I think... I think some of our fifth graders would like it too. So. Yeah. So that'll wrap it up for this one. I think, is it, we're doing Ms. Marvel next month? Yes, because the because show the, Because the show's out. out. Okay. So yes, we will be doing, we will be doing something that I don't think we've done as yet, which is going to a second volume of, uh, of a comic line we've already read. So, um, while back... Years back now, I think, I think at this it was point. Like within our first year. I think it was. We did the first volume of Ms. Marvel, uh, starring Kamala Khan, and mm. with the new show coming out, we are gonna take a look all this time later at the second volume. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, join us for that, and uh we will see you in a month. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com and you can support the network by finding Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. This particular show enjoys support from Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>